Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money. Whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome again to Money Tips. This is Charles Kelly bringing you Money Tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate, and ultimately enjoy more money. I want to talk today about the welfare system. That is the state system that provides pensions, healthcare, and all the rest of it. I want to ask you, is the welfare system broke or broken? And if so, what are you going to do to fund your retirement? and your old age. Now, let me take you back a bit to, to, to my story. You know, I grew up in London uh, when, you know, in a part of London called Camden, when it wasn't so trendy, it was quite a poor area, actually. And it was an area where a lot of migrants went to when they arrived in the UK, as my parents did. Uh, and, you know, there were lots of bedsits and houses where you, you know, it was split into rooms. So there were cheap, there was cheap accommodation around and there was jobs around. And a lot of people come over from places like um, Ireland, where my family come over on, on the boat to Hollyhead, uh, you know, an arduous journey. And, you know, there was in Ireland at the time, it was a very poor country. There was little opportunity, you know, widespread poverty. And I went to school with first generation migrants from places like Cyprus in, you know, in Canada, a lot of Cypriots, Greek Cypriots, India, East Africa, Caribbean, parts of Africa, uh, lots of different countries. And later on, I saw a wave of immigration coming in from places like Uganda, where, remember Idi Amin kicking out all the Indian Asians from from the countries, and they're taking all the money, you know, so they kicked them all out, and the country went downhill. Uh, And and they were, you know, come over to the UK at that time. And also a lot of immigration from the Philippines in the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s, uh, going into nursing, healthcare, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I've seen a lot of this come over, and, and I, I grew up in in immigrant communities. So I've seen, you know, from my own experience, how those people lived and, and worked and got on. And I, I noticed a couple of things. Uh, I, I noticed that they they tended to buy their own homes, they bought their own properties rather than relying on council housing, which was quite prevalent in those days. You could fairly easy to get a council flat in, in the seventies anyway. Um, so they, they tended to buy their own house perhaps because, you know, I remember my mother going and talking to the council, well, no, we can't give you houses because that's for the, for, for the, for the English people that have been here, not, not for you who've just come over here. And, you know, my mum sort of accepted that and said, well, okay, you know, I'll accept that. So, you know, perhaps because of that, or perhaps they didn't know the system, they tended to, to buy uh, their own their own property um you know and and that so that's one thing i noticed from my own experience my own anecdotal observations and like some of my own family did uh they rented out part of their house rented out a room took in a lodger to help make ends meet or or pay their mortgage you know and sometimes they found that the rent would often cover their mortgage and enable them to save a bit of money and then maybe buy another house ah does that sound familiar? Now, it was inconvenient for them. Of course, they couldn't have their, their own space and they had to put up with a bit of uncomfortable inconveniences. But, you know, it wasn't that bad and it did help them to, to get on a bit. Right. So just I'll come back to that in a while. 
so so that's you know that's that's how I, I've noticed things. Now they also had a tendency to start their own business again based on my own observations, perhaps because they couldn't find a job that utilized their own education or skills from their own country. This has been a, always been a big problem for migrants. They've come over here with a degree. And the system here says, no, we don't accept your degree. Your degree that you've studied for four years is actually only equivalent to a, a HNC, Higher National Certificate or a Diploma. Now, what are you talking about? You know, how do you know? And I, I think many of the, uh, the, the educational establishments and the, uh, the, the jobs for the professions have been a bit of a closed shop and, and still is in many ways. You know, they don't accept qualifications from, from certain countries without making them jump through hoops. And, I, you know, but that's another another subject. But, you know, perhaps because of that, they they decided to start their own their own business. Perhaps people start fun of them. Oh, you opened a corner shop. And if you're Indian, you're open, you're open to corner shop. You know, but that helped them get on uh, because they could earn more money than people in, in a job. And, you know, so I, I also noticed that they worked harder than most people. They, they seem to be always working. They had two, three jobs. Um, you know, many people I know personally had three jobs. They, they didn't just work in one job. They had a weekend job, an evening job, a part-time job. They were always working and and saving money, perhaps rather than spending it. They they weren't people who went out to the pub so much. They 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 tended to work, go home, be with the family, and put a bit of money aside, and then buy a property or, or whatever they did with their money. You know, so that contrasted at the time. And I'm not saying everybody, but at the time, that contrast. Con- that contrasted with the the mentality of the people that you know I grew up with in London that had this mentality of that the government would would look after us and that was based on what was called the 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 welfare state the cradle to grave welfare state that was brought in after the war they were told by the government or we were told by the government that they would be looked after from the time they were born the cradle until they were buried the grave cradle to grave everything was going to be free you know, healthcare, education, university with grants, you know, elderly care. If you, if you can't look after yourself in elder, we'll put you in a, a council run nursing home. Uh, and, and people would pay taxes and national insurance contributions, which was supposed to provide for their pension in old age. Right. So they also had the safety net, the unemployment benefit system and the sickness benefit system, which meant that they were paid if they're unemployed or couldn't work. Now, this is still here today, but it was that, that mentality that, you know, the council will do something about it. The government will do something about it. And, you know, I lived in a council flat when I was young and people felt, you know, that everything had to be repaired by the council. You know, it's not my job, it's the council. Or, um, you know, the council will sort that rubbish out that's lying there. And and that was the, the, the general mentality that the government, the council, somebody else would look after me. Somebody else would take care of it. Someone else was responsible for that for that problem. They didn't take so much personal responsibility. And even during my uh, when I started working during my early years in financial services, people would often come up to me and say things like, well, you know, I'd say to them, look, you know, you you're not saving enough for your retirement. You know, when you retire, you're not going to have enough to live on. They say, what are we worried about it? You know, the government will look after me if I don't have enough pension savings. Or they'd say the state will look after my wife and children if I die without insurance. People said this to me, the state will look after them. In many ways, they were correct. You know, the state does look after you and it does provide people without pensions some sort of benefit in, in retirement. And, you know, th- that that is true. But, you know, at what cost? You know, you're not going to live the life that you want to. 
Now, the Mature Times, a newspaper called the Mature Times, recently quoted a report. I've, I've got, the, got the article here by the Mature Times. They recently re, uh, quoted a report by Canada Life, which said that almost two in five pensioners or 38% of claimants actually receive less than £150 a week. And that worked out to about 365,000 people. And, you know, I mean, can you live on £150 a week? Now, you can probably survive on it, but can you really live comfortably on what the state pension provides or what benefits you'd get from the state pension? Because, you know, that, that's, that's the reality of it. And this is why we hear of pensioners freezing to death in the winter. Uh, and, and this is true. I mean, I know someone in in the, the funeral business who said his best time is, is after a cold winter. Uh, so it, it is a fact. Freezing to death in the winter or having to make the choice between food or heat. Right. This is a fact. Now, most people, again, will blame the government. You hear people on TV, well, the government shouldn't. This is a scandal and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. OK. The government has a part to play. But the fact is, we all have the opportunity to work and save during our lifetime. Right. We, we have a, a span of maybe 40 years of working and at which time, you know, we, we should have saved some money so that you can live for another 20 or 30 years. Is, is that is that making sense? I mean, it makes sense to me because you know, most people think they'll be retiring at 60, 65. And it's quite feasible that you can live into your 80s. So you need some money there, don't you? Um, yeah, there'll be a state pension, but that's a very minimal amount that you need. You still need more on top of whatever the state pension will provide. Now, furthermore, the amount that people pay, most people pay in their taxes, hardly covers what the government needs to spend and keep everybody safe, healthy, you know, the NHS, right? Educated, schools, uh, these are huge budgets and, and keep people, keep the public, you know, the, the, the electorate happy during their, their lifetime, you know, let alone have enough to, to provide them with incomes for another 20 or possibly 30 years in retirement. So in other words, the taxes that most people pay, uh, especially if you're on a low income, it doesn't cover it all. You know, if you gave all the tax back that you'd paid, uh, you know, it probably wouldn't be enough to, to, to live on for, for, for a good few years in retirement. And, and people don't seem to get that. You know, low paid people now don't pay any tax. They pay very little tax uh, on on you know, a, a minimum wage income. You don't pay much. You still pay national insurance, but you don't pay much tax. And if you've got a couple of kids at school, well, all that tax is spent, isn't it? That's gone, that money. Well, it's no good saying, well, I've worked all my life and now I haven't got a pension, so the government has to give me that money. No, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah, there's a safety net there uh, and, and there's a minimal pension provided. But don't, you know, don't get this idea that your taxes are really, um, you know, provided everything and you've overpaid somehow into the system and didn't get it back because in actual fact it doesn't it doesn't really work that you know governments um have to borrow to, to keep everything going don't they they have to borrow every year just to pay everything and that, that's basically because the taxes they've got coming in is not paying enough to cover all the interest on the debts and 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 all the rest of it and all the, the government expenditure so uh yeah, that that's my opinion the welfare state system and, and that system at the moment is broken and unsustainable. And this is why really successive governments have had to change the rules, move the goalposts. Retirement ages have increased. People have had to sell their homes to pay for elderly care in nursing homes. You know, a nursing homes, 25, 30,000 a year. People now can't just expect to uh, get, get, get old and say, well, I want 
free nursing care. No, they'll take your home to pay for it. And, and this is just a fact of life. Um, you know, now university is no longer free, apart from Scotland, it's no longer free in England and Wales. So, you know, people have to pay for it through through a loan system or, or up front. You know, as I said, most governments have to borrow. And this is not, you know, unique to the UK. The governments have got the same sort of problems. Um, and if the country's not paying its way as it done in the past, then they have to top it up with borrowings. So, and when we all talk about the government, have got the government should spend and the government should do this. What we're really talking about is is our money, is the money that we're paying in taxes and the businesses pay in taxes. So, so that's it. You know, the government hasn't got this magic fund and there's no oil wells in the ground to, to sustain everybody. You know, that's it. We have to produce and, you know, we pay taxes and, and that, that those taxes are used to provide, you know, the streets and the, and, and all the things that go into the things, the things we haven't really built but have to be maintained and the roads and the, the police and the army and the nurses and the teachers and all the rest of it has to be paid for, doesn't it? So, you know, what... And, and if you look back at when the, the welfare system was devised and... You know, I've covered this in previous podcasts on, on the tension, pensions time bomb, as I call it. You know, you look at that time and it was it's estimated that people would, you know, live for less than five years in retirement. You know, it wasn't that long ago when men were, were, were you know, the, the lifespan of a man, you know, in the last century, it wasn't that long ago when it was only 45 or 50 years old. Now, they also calculated the number of people working would be able to support the number in people in retirement because the fund... There's no state fund. What the the, the 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 pension system and the welfare system is is funded out of current taxes. It's not saved up for your retirement. So, you know, there has to be enough people working and paying taxes to pay for people in retirement. Now, both so these assumptions that were devised when the system was 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 uh, made are, are way out of date now. Um, you know, the the people now are living far longer. And on average, and and more people in retirement than ever before. So the, the worrying thing is about the ratio of people, which I'll go into in more detail. As in most developed countries, especially in Europe, you know, advances in medicine and diets and, and, and exercise have contributed to citizens living longer. And the trend is set to continue. I've got some figures here. By 2050, the proportion of UK population aged 65 and over is projected to reach at least a quarter or just under a quarter, 24% up from 17% in 2012. It doesn't sound a lot, but it's, it's a lot of people. And that's according to figures by the ONS office for national statistics. And the fastest increases actually in, in will be among the people in what they call the oldest age, the proportion of people aged 85 and over are forecast to treble from 2% to 6%. Now this is an actuarial thing. If you, if you live the longer you live, the, the the longer you're expected to live, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, you know, this is in academics now saying this will this evolving demographic demographic changes will affect everyone in society, regardless of age, because it all has to be paid for. And and the even bigger problem is that the proportion reaching retirement age as it, as it grows, the proportion of people reaching retirement age, the number of working people will shrink due to birth rate decline. Now, this is is true here and it's also true in places like Germany. This is a concern because the UK state pension payments are funded through taxation and national insurance from those of working age. Now I've got some figures here. Tax revenue from those in work could fall uh, to keep up with demand for 
social security, healthcare. I mean, the demands for, for healthcare are growing and growing. As new medicines come in, new, new techniques uh, come in, people want these things. So that, that's going to grow. It would never end. And uh, there's someone here called David Sinclair from the International Longevity Centre UK. Yes, there's an International Longevity Centre UK. And he said that the number of people of working age to every pensioner uh, or the old age support ratio is forecast to fall from 29 to 2.9 by 2050 from 3.3 in the mid 70s to 2006. So in other words, uh, you know, one person in retirement for less than three people working and and maybe 50 60 70 100 years ago it was more like four for every one working it's, it's projected just in the next you know 30 odd years to fall below three people working to support every person in retirement so in other words tax revenue from those that group will, will continue to may continue to fall and keep up with demand for all of these things that we have to pay for this will force governments, says Mr. Sinclair, to make some tough choices. To a certain extent, the government have tried to make some tough choices, but it doesn't win them votes and, and make them very popular, like, like with universal credit. Um, now, given this problem, that, that, that the government has already pushed back the qualifi qualification age for, for state pension to 67. I'm affected by this. Um, currently, the state pension was, was 65, and it, it's been... It, it used to be 60 for women. It's been equalised now. Um, it's taken steps to avoid big shortfalls in pension savings through automatic enrolments. If you're in a job now, you'll, you'll probably be automatically enrolled into a to a, a workplace workplace pension. And this was introduced three years ago. Two percent of work workers' qualification earnings is saved into a pension, uh, comprised of a, a contribution also from the employer. Uh, and it will eventually rise up to about eight percent by two thousand, uh, you know, as you, as you go along. But I, I don't think this is really going to be enough. And the type of pension that they're, they're investing in is a pension that is relying largely on the stock market to grow. The workers have been gradually encouraged or nudged into savings, but left unprepared for the complex choices about how to uh, fund for their pension pots and, and what to do in retirement. So. Five million people have now been enrolled into this pension scheme, but there is a concern over the reforms of whether it's enough and uh, blah, blah, blah. Now, you can also take your own pension scheme. You can join a company pension scheme and contribute that yourself. But, you know, most people when they're young haven't always got the, the, the amount of money they need to fund into a pension scheme. And I've talked about this in my earlier podcast. Uh, so, so those are some of the facts. Now, look, you, you can find out for yourself um, what your state pension is likely to be. You go online to the Department of Work and Pensions or the DWP for, for a, a forecast. And as I said, you can top up your, your own pension yourself. So is the welfare system broken, as I said in, in the headline? Well, maybe it's not completely broken yet, but it's certainly creaking at the edges. It needs a real major refit or an overhaul. But unfortunately, it's only been tinkered with and patched up by successive governments because they don't want to tell it like it is. It's not very popular, um, as with universal credit. You know, even recently they've they've removed the um, TV licenses for the over seventy fives. Now, you know, the TV license I think is about eight pounds a month, but it's been an uproar. I mean, there's there's, there's a campaign now to stop that decision. So, you know, I, I expect 
that what will happen in, in reality is that we'll muddle along for a while and you know, for the next few years and for the next few decades and they'll, they'll patch it up here, make a few changes there, but they won't really take any proper action to deal with the pensions time bomb or the elderly care problem. I'm mean, having touched on elderly care and social care, which is another Pandora's box altogether. Uh, so in the meantime, what I can only suggest to you is you better start rowing your own boat, you know, not relying on the state or or an employer to look after you. you you've, you know, you're on your own now. You've got to do something for yourself. Now, you know, there's another theory that maybe the, the centuries-old party is over for the West as the, the East goes strong, grows stronger now and takes more of the economy, more of our lunch away. You know, this could, you know, this is a, another theory. I, I don't know. I mean, the 16-year-old Swedish climate campaigner Greta Thunberg said, why should the rest of the world suffer so we can live in luxury? OK, that was related to a climate thing, but it, but it also relates to an economic thing. You know, many of the, the, the rest of the world in the developing world, the third world, are living in, in, in poverty that we, we you know, we, we couldn't even imagine. Uh, and and that, that has to change. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes in the next few years. And, you know, what can you do about it? Well, you know, getting back to my earlier story. When I talked about migrants coming here and buying houses and renting out rooms, you might say, well, that was all right then. You can't do that now. It's not so easy now. Well, I, I think you'd be wrong about that. Um, the same opportunities to invest in property are available to you today. And in fact, it's much easier to get in property than it was a few years ago. For instance, mortgages are easier to obtain. Interest rates are lower. There are buy-to-let mortgages available, which were not available then. You need know, to go to a bank and get a commercial loan at a very expensive rate. You can rent out a room tax-free. I think it's seven and a half thousand a year. It might have gone up. Um, and there are training courses available to help you learn how to build a property portfolio and, and maybe secure an income for your retirement, even without putting any money down. Now, of those, I think the last point is the most important. When when my uncle's migrated here there was no training courses on property nobody told you how to get a mortgage or how to buy a property where to start you know how to do the legal side you know how, how to do anything you know they had to learn by trial and error and I had to do the same thing when I got into property so I wish I'd had courses available to me because it could have accelerated my progress much faster and avoided you know helping to me to avoid a lot of mistakes that I made in the early days and since I've started to attend courses it's really opened up in some ways blew my mind and, and opened up my eyes to a world of opportunity. So these courses are available. If you'd like some information on a beginner's property taster course that you could go on to perhaps get you into property, then click on the link below if there is one, or if not, uh, email me at charles at charleskelly.net. Now there are other things you can do uh, to, to boost your retirement. And I've gone through those in earlier podcasts. So have a listen to those you know, it's about starting part-time businesses. It's about getting into property. It's about just saving. So listen to that. And I also cover these things in my book. Yes, money can buy you happiness. I talk about this in the book and I give you lots of suggestions as to how you can, you know, boost your income, not just for retirement, but for now, you know, you've got to live for now as well. So have a look at that. And as I said, think about those, those taster courses. There's some coming up in the next few weeks. So get back to me. And thank you for listening. This has been Charles Kelly, bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest and accumulate and enjoy more money. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. 
The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. Thank you.